one director, six films, two podcasters. This episode, we're celebrating Star Wars Day and Lucasfilm's 50th anniversary with The Lucas List, our ranking of the six films directed by George Lucas. You've taken your first step into a larger world. Let's go. Hello there. I'm Rowan Williams. I am Baz McAllister. And welcome to Force Material, where this week we, uh, we, we're doing something a little different for, for May 4. Uh, I don't think we've done a, like a ranking things episode of the show before, Baz. I don't think we've ever tried to do a, you know, a, a countdown like this before. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we haven't. So this is exciting. Yeah. We're getting some real fisticuffs over this. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this, this should be fun. Virtually. Vir- virtual fisticuffs, yeah. exactly. Uh, so what we're going to do guys is we're going to rank the films of George Lucas. Now we've got to put some constraints on this because otherwise we'd be here all night. So we're only ranking the films that he directed, um, not the various things that he, you know, produced or wrote or had some sort of hand in. It's not a competitive draft kind of scenario. At the end of the night, we will have two separate lists. We're not trying to sort of combine them into one mega list. Any other, any other rules you can think of that we should state up front, Baz? We have actually also um, compiled a list of what we think the other one is going yes. to go with, which we will reveal at the end. Yes. Yes. So that'll be fun. Uh, and how this is going to work is we will reveal our picks. Obviously, start from the bottom, start from number six, work our way up to number one, because uh, there's only six films directed by George Lucas. Once a film appears on both of our lists, then we'll talk about it. You know, if we pick different things at, at number six, we'll have to wait until those movies show up on both of our lists for us to stop and talk about, you know, why we ranked them, where we ranked them. Um, but anyway, that stuff will become very clear as we move through the list. You don't need to, you guys don't need to worry about that. Baz, let's just do this. Let's get straight into this. Get right into it. Tell me, Baz, what is your sixth favorite George Lucas film? Potentially controversial choice. Excellent. THX 1138. No! Are you joking? No, I'm not joking. I'm not joking. Let's kick this off with a fight. Look, look. uh, Well, I mean, no spoilers, but uh, I'm not going to be getting a perfect six from six on my my guesses at at the end of this. Um, wow. At number six, take me yeah. through the, take me through the thinking here. Oh no, we haven't both mentioned it. So we, we may not be talking about this for quite some time. <laughs> so you're going to spend the next hour just quietly hating me and then we can talk <laughs> about why. So <laughs> what did you pick as number six on your list? Number six on my list is Star Wars episode two, attack of the clones. Uh, probably no shock to anyone who's ever listened to the podcast before. Uh, but we will talk about it when we when we get there. Baz, what is number five 
on your list. I think we're about to talk about it. Number five on my list. Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. Okay. And why why has this come in at number five on your list? Well, it's the it's simply because it's the weakest of the prequels, um, and it therefore comes at the bottom of the the little trilogy of prequels that is in George Lucas's canon here. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to say I dislike it. Over the years, I've come to mellow on episode two. I think when I first saw it, I sort of, it, it was the only one that I saw that didn't give me that Star Wars blindness. Do you know what I mean? Like when you come out of the cinema after seeing a Star Wars film for the first time, you know, you, you're, you're blown away. You, you think it's better than it actually was. And I remember watching Attack of the Clones and thinking, I don't know about that. And that was the first time I had a little Star Wars wobble. Um, the next time was fairly recently, but that's a story for another time. Um, but I've, I've got I've got to sort of um, back this up by saying that it's got some great moments in it. It's got, you know, the, the Geonosis Arena battle, obviously, uh, which is the first time I think we get to see legions of Jedi with sabers doing what Jedi are supposed to do, supported by clones doing what they're supposed to do, and the cool gunships, and, you know, all, all that stuff's great. We have Boba Fett versus Obi-Wan, or Jango Fett, sorry, versus Obi-Wan. Mm. Um, we have the Slave One asteroid field chase with the excellent sound design choices. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of great stuff in this film that I love, mm-hmm. but it's definitely the weakest of the three narratively. It just doesn't hang together well. All the Anakin Padme scenes I would love to see on the cutting room floor. Mm-hmm. And I just hated every single one of them. <laughs> um, yeah, so so that that's kind of how I feel about um, about episode two, and it, it kind of it had the feel of, you know, in the way that Empire Strikes Back is a tradition, is a transitional film. It's like it, it's it's the bridging the gap between, you know, a New Hope and Return of the Jedi in an mm-hmm. excellent way. Mm-hmm. Uh, this bridges the gap between the uh, the other two films in this trilogy, but just utterly kind of fails to grab you or in my view sort of move things along or doing this significant like the clone wars begin sure but everything else in this film just feels a bit fillery Mm -hmm. yeah how about you yeah i'm right there with you uh uh, this was the first one i I, that you know when i saw it in theaters i I wasn't immediately blown away by it this was the first time i kind of realized like oh star wars is you know uh, it's fallible uh it's not always going to be my thing uh, you know, I'd seen Phantom Menace in 99 and we'll, we'll talk about Phantom Menace, but you know, I, I was definitely one of the people who came away from it that first time, uh, with rose colored glasses on, didn't want to hear any criticisms. Uh, Attack of the Clones, as I was watching it, I, I, I was just like, oh no, what if, what's, what's gone wrong with this? Uh, and I, I remember just, you know, leaving the theater and, and sort of going like, what, what happened? Like what? And here's the thing. Attack of the Clones is my least favorite George Lucas movie. That's why it was number six on my on my list. Um, it's my least favorite Star Wars movie. If we were to rank the Star Wars movies, uh, mm-hmm. but and and this is this is sort of crucial, I think, for this to sort of set the you know the parameters of this list. I'd still rather watch it than ninety percent of all the other movies ever made. You know, like it's still a Star yes. Wars movie. It's still a George Lucas movie. There's still a lot of stuff in here that I love. Um, you know, you listed a, a lot of it. I feel like the 
you know, there's there's a lot of stuff in here that is universally agreed upon as as being great, even if the overall film isn't to everybody's taste. So you talked about Django Fett versus Obi Wan. That's great. Uh, you know, everybody talks about the depth charge in the Django Fett Obi Wan asteroid yeah. chase, and it's because it's incredible. Um, I love the chase on Coruscant at the start of the movie. I mean, you know, story-wise, I, I don't understand it at all. I don't. There's no logic to why Django would need to hire another bounty hunter to do his job. But that's not the point. Yeah. The chase itself is is really is really fun. Um, you know, seeing Coruscant that way was was great. Um, bringing you know those kind of Blade Runner vibes into a into a Star Wars movie uh, was was fantastic. Elan Slees Bagano and his. Ivan Slees Bagano, exactly. Yeah, Damien from Home and Away for any uh, you know nineties Australian uh, <laughs> listeners, and the the prequels would have these scenes. They'd have these moments where you'd think, you know, this is it. George is back. Like we're back to original trilogy or even better uh, levels of hype. You know, and and then and then you'd watch the rest of the movie and you'd be like, oh, okay, we're we're not. But you know, as, as, the thing is. As, as the kind of the years go by and the weight of expectations that was on those movies falls away, a, a lot of those criticisms fall by the wayside as well. Like a lot of the things that I held against the movie when I first saw it don't seem that important now. Um, and you know, maybe this is just Stockholm Syndrome from having watched it as part of, you know, Star Wars rewatches so many times over the years. But I still really enjoy the things that I enjoy about this movie and the stuff that I don't enjoy about this movie just this kind of water off a duck's off a duck's back, you know. Um, I, I mean, I agree with you. The the romance is is awful, um, but it's irredeemable. I, I can't get on board with the movement in in recent years to kind of you know redeem it and and talk about it as if it's actually this great romance and you know misunderstood and and so on and so forth. It's 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 bad. And 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 uh, you know, and this is not really the movie's fault or George's fault, but uh, Attack of the Clones began my kind of love hate relationship with Australia's influence on the Star Wars prequels. Um, <laughs> you know, it's cool that yes. there were two Star Wars movies made in Sydney, but there's also just a bit of cultural cringe when you hear those like Australian and New Zealand uh, accents and and see those all those soap opera actors in a in a Star Wars movie. But yeah, I, I, this is the thing. Overall, there's still probably a lot more that I like about this movie than there is that I don't like. But mm-hmm. the, the plot of this movie, especially you know the first few times I watched it, is baffling. I, I had no idea what was going on in this movie. Um, all the stuff with Obi Wan's chase, uh, you know, Obi Wan's quest to find out what's going on with the clones and so on and so forth. I mean, it's interesting and it's stuff that I've grown to like on repeated viewings over the years is, you know, Obi-Wan's kind of private eye adventure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that first time seeing it at the cinemas, it just felt interminable. It was like, what are we doing here? Like, when is this going to end? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Why? What, what's the deal with these clones? Why are the Jedi not asking any questions about the clones? And, you know, and so on and so yeah. forth. I just, I just had a lot of questions. You just lull yourself into thinking, oh, well, this Sifo-Dyas mystery seems to be quite an important part of everything. I guess, oh, it wasn't tied up in this film. I guess it'll be tied up in the next film. And it kind of wasn't. So, you know, it's just things like that that, that do baffle you, um, the choices that, uh, that George made. And I still don't like the choice of having Yoda be this little ball of energy with a lightsaber when, it, when he's in the middle of a fight. I just it looks ridiculous and isn't dignified. And I, I just never thought that if you would have had a lightsaber, that would be the way he would fight. No. Um, you know, so that, that just, I really don't like that duel. It's probably my least favorite lightsaber duel in 
in every Star Wars film ever, probably. I would agree. There's there's a mm. moment when he first sort of pulls back his robe and and, and pulls out the the lightsaber. That was cool, and I, I remember being excited by that when I saw that you know in the in the cinema for the first time. But everything that followed after that just didn't really yeah. do anything for me. All the jumping around, yeah. it's just like, all right, he's a he's a cartoon character now. Yeah. No, also, also a benefits fraudster pretending to be disabled. <laughs> um, he's he's uh, he's Charlie Bucket's uh, granddad yeah. or whatever yeah. at this point. Yeah. at this point of the of the movie. <laughs> but you know, as I said, it's not a war crime. You know, uh, <laughs> maybe you know it's prob- that's probably not a pull quote for the poster, but uh, it's you know it's it's fine. Like it's, uh, I, I would happily, I would happily go home and put it on and watch it right now. And if that's, yeah, yeah, if me that's too. the worst film you've ever directed, if that's the worst film on the list, you know, that's pretty good. <laughs> but it's not the worst film on my list. So, <laughs> and, and, and I'll tell you, like, this is a, a teaser to our upcoming conversation, which is probably going to be uncomfortable for me. But I, I just thought to myself when we were making this list, I haven't seen THX for many, many years. Shall I watch it? And then I realized, nah, I'd rather just watch Attack of the Clones again. <laughs> and when I when I realized that, but that's that's your answer, right? Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. So, what was your um, number five? Uh, number five on my list is Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. What was number four on your list? I guess we're talking about Revenge of the Sith. (laughs) We're going to just pop up this list like that. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's number four on my list. Yeah. Uh, And what uh, what earned it the number four spot for you? Well, um, it's the second weakest of the prequel series. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, it's. uh, I remember being unreasonably pumped up about this when I came out of the cinema after Mm. having seen it. after episode two, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, yes, Star Wars is back. George is back, you know, and I deluded myself about that for a little while. Mm-hmm. And then I got really down on it for many years. And and then, you know, rewatching it fairly recently, I got kind of up on it again because it's it's actually pretty good. It hangs together really well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, It's, you know, got one of the best openings of any Star Wars film, I think. You know, with that space battle, just straight into the action above Chorus and the last mm-hmm. battle of the war, a hundred percent, and the the rescue of the Chancellor. It's 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 all just straight up action with, you know, R two D two getting his little moments of glory, and it's um I, I loved all that stuff, and it it just shows you that relationship between Anakin and Obi Wan as it should have been, and as as it sort of has become most beloved in terms of you know the the relationship in the Clone Wars cartoons. Mm. Yeah. So um. Yeah, that that was just a slam bang twenty minute opening, which you know just puts you in the right headspace for this, uh, and then you're you're straight into the rest of it, and it, it just it continues at this kind of breakneck speed, mm. um, with with a lot of brilliant stuff in it. You know, a, a a lot of the fall of Anakin stuff is really good, mm-hmm. where Sidious is just sort of whispering in his ear and trying to gradually convince him to to come over and and the way that that all happens is masterfully done mm-hmm. um the yoda fight in this one marginally better than the yoda fight in the previous one <laughs> but still not still not fantastic um yeah the, you know the uh um the final battle 
on Geonosis is great mm-hmm. between Anakin and Obi-Wan. Love that. Still think it, you know, this film could have gone there in terms of a love triangle vibe. Mm-hmm. Nearly did, but but could have. And I think that had it gone there, that would have been really intriguing and something that, you know, shows Obi-Wan as a bit of a flawed character, you know, succumbing to that, you know, um, Jedi should not have any attachments, kind of, you know, throwing that all out the window mm-hmm. to uh, hook up with his best friend's girl and, and give Anakin a real reason to fall rather than the delusion that he was being cheated on or being betrayed, mm. you know? So uh, I I do feel it loses points for that because I would have liked to have seen it go there. But there's a lot of great stuff in this film to love. What do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, that opening space battle, as you said, uh, is incredible. That is some of my favorite stuff in in all of Star Wars. Uh, definitely one of the best openings to any of the films. Um, I think, I think you know, George, for years and years and years, talked about, you know, the tragedy of Darth Vader and the tragedy of Anakin Skywalker and the fact that he, he wanted mm. to go back and do the prequels and make the tragedy clearer. And I think episode three really nails the tragedy of it all. You know, I think you have to give it to him, like in the sense that it, this is a movie where you, you get all these moments where you see things that could go the other way, like all these moments where, you, you know, just for a split second, you know, what if Mace Windu did beat the Emperor here? What if Yoda, Yoda mm. beat the Emperor? You know, what, what if Anakin doesn't, you know, agree to... But, but you know, that, you know, the tragedy is you know where it's headed the entire time. Yeah. You know, we're, in a, we're inevitably headed to, uh, you know, to Darth Vader and to the status quo of, of episode four. Um, the, the bubble opera is undefeated. Uh, you know, it's still <laughs> yes. incredible stuff. And a lot of that is probably most likely... Squid Lake. Squid Lake, exactly. A lot of that is most likely due to Tom Stoppard, who, who worked as a script doctor on this one. But, you know, credit to George for getting him involved. And, and then, you know, I think it's a, I think it's a really well-directed scene. You know, Order 66, uh, that, that entire sequence is, is fantastic. General Grievous, I, I, I know oh. a lot of people don't like him. I think General Grievous is a really fun villain. Uh, I, I like him as like a prototype, you know, like a, like, like a rough we're heading in the direction of Darth Vader, you know, we're, we're, we're creating these mechanical men. Um, you know, it, it's all, you take, you know, a dash of Maul, a dash of Dooku, a dash of, of Grievous and you, and you get Vader essentially. So, you know, I, I like that element. I'm, I'm not yeah. someone who sort of thinks they should have just kept the same henchman through all the three movies. I, I kind of like seeing, you know, different aspects of Vader explored through the henchmen. Yeah. You know, I, I think, the the fall to the dark side is probably a little too quick for my liking. Um, yeah. Given that you know this was the culmination of not just these prequel films, but really you know from George's perspective, what thirty years of storytelling. Um, it it just feels like he he really goes from you know from O to woe. Yeah. But you know by the time he's like killing younglings and stuff, you're like, okay, this feels like he's fallen a little too quickly, but I suppose, you know, the dark side is one of those in for a penny in for a pound kind of things where it's like, you know, once you go dark, you never go bark, you go bark. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I suppose you could point to you <laughs> know, episode two with the Tuscan Raiders and so on. Like, it's not like it came out of nowhere. Um, there'd always been this darker That's true, yeah. side to his personality. Yeah. And then as, as we discover in the cartoons, you know, Palpatine has been needling away Anakin for mm. years and just mm. kind of prodding and testing him and pushing him further into bad decisions. That's the thing, right? It's like, it's hard to 
differentiate this movie in some ways from the Clone Wars and to remember what I thought of it before the Clone Wars because that so yeah. colors my perception of these movies now, especially the, uh, you know, the victory and death, like the, the final arc of the Clone Wars, like that almost bumped this higher up the list for me, just the way that this movie, the, the way they tied in that arc so perfectly with this film. But, you know, ultimately you've got to just judge the film on its own merits. And, yeah, so for me it's, uh, it's sitting pretty at, at number five. I like that he basically tied up all the loose ends that he wanted to tie up in this one, but I think that also caused some problems where, you know, towards the end of the film, it feels like he's definitely just in a rush. And so, and some of these things, he's tying up things that don't need to be tied up. You know, he's actually raising more questions as a result. So, you know, like we'll see 3PO and R2-D2 on the same ship for 20 years. Like why did the Death Star take 20 years to build, et cetera? Like, it's yeah. that, you know, there's some odd, there's some odd stuff in the, in the final couple of minutes of the movie, but, on, but that's more canon nitpicking. It's not really, you know, a, a reflection on him as a director. Um, I mean, how do you feel about the duel on Mustafa? I, I like it more now than I used to, I think. Mm. You know, um, it's uh, it's not one of my favorite, but uh, I, I I think that, you know, it, it gets robbed of a little bit of dignity by them whipping around on top of the lava on the little platforms. Yeah. Don't love that. That feels a bit like a video game. But, you know, battering each other up and down the gantries and everything just feels a lot like that. Uh, the big duels between Luke and Vader and Empire and Jedi, you know, it, it, it's it's good. It's got a lot of nice parallels to those. Yeah, I um. I don't know. I, I think there's parts of that duel that I really like. And then I'm with you on, you know, I I prefer the simpler, you know, two masters who don't need to be jumping around and doing a you know, million yeah. moves a minute to show how great they are, um, sort of lightsaber duels. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's not my favourite. Um, I mean, I definitely think in terms of the performances, I think he got more out of, you know, Hayden Christensen and, and Natalie Portman in this movie than he did in episode two. Um, yeah. The romance aspect of it feels, you know, it's a doomed romance, but that that aspect of it feels truer to me here than it did in episode two. Uh, yeah. You know, there's there's a scene that in this movie that for me is is up there with like anything that George directed, which is, you know, just the scene of like Anakin looking over the city and sort of weighing up in his mind, like what he should do. There's a real atmosphere to that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's an artfulness to that, to that scene that, that, that is sort of missing in some other parts of the other prequels that I really enjoyed. So anyway, that's, that's, that's where I'm at with uh, revenge of the Sith. My uh, second yeah. favorite prequel, I guess is the best way to put it. <laughs> it's um, it's kind of a, an unconventional Star Wars structure to get the biggest battle over with at the very start, really. Mm. Um, and the rest of it sort of plays out as more personal battles. So they're like clashes of will that are played out as fights. Yeah. Um, so that, that's kind of an interesting choice, but, uh, but it, it kind of, it works all right, you know? Well, because the, the stakes, the personal stakes are getting higher, right? Like even as the, as you say, the, the, you know, the 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 scope of the battles is getting smaller, so yeah, I think that that works really yeah. well. Baz, what is your what number? So wait, what number was Revenge of the Sith for you? So was that four. That was my four. So I've got to ask you what your four was. Ah, my number four is Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Uh, what is your number three? Bigger than maybe. <laughs> Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. <laughs> 
If it wasn't for you putting uh, THX on the bottom, I would say we've just been doing this too long and we've, uh, we've become the one, <laughs> yeah, the one hive mind. But I, I, you know, I'm glad there's, a, there's at least a disagreement there for us to get into. But um, yeah, yeah, Phantom yeah. Menace, why is it, why is it uh, at the number three spot for you? After having watched the prequels again reasonably recently, I think after I got Disney+, Plus, mm-hmm. um, I think it just it, it hangs together the best of all three. And it's plain to see now. You know, if if you'd asked me a few years ago, uh, when I was younger and more naive, I would have said Revenge of the Sith. Sure, it's the best one. Um, mm. But no, I, I think Phantom Menace is a classic. It's basically a New Hope reskinned in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, you know, it's 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 that hero's journey thing. It's uh, got the little kid sort of being ripped away from his family and taken off into this adventure. It's got the you know the mentors and the droids and and uh, you know it's and it's got hands down probably the best sequence in the entire prequels uh, the pod race mm-hmm. um, which you know completely irresponsible of anyone to put that child into that racer <laughs> but you know the cool thing about that the cool um, thing about that as well is like when you said hands down the best sequence in the prequels. I thought you were going to say the Jewel of the Fates. So the fact that there's two sequences in that movie, yeah, that that's that are that, you know the the two best sequences is cool. Yeah, very close behind. Um, that, that's I, I guess that's one of the top lightsaber duels in the uh, in in the Star Wars canon. Mm-hmm. And uh, this film has my favorite prequel character in it, Qui Gon Jinn, mm-hmm. played by inimitable Liam Neeson, who comes from Ballymena, which is thirty miles down the road from where I grew up. <laughs> <laughs> just basking about reflected glory there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I think Neeson turns in a fantastic performance as Qui-Gon. And the more we learn about Qui-Gon through expanded universe stuff and, uh, you know, other mediums, uh, the more I love him. Yeah. I just think he's a great character. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, again, uh, my thoughts are, are fairly similar to yours. It, Phantom Menace has absolutely worked its way up my my Star Wars list and my, my Lucas list over the last few years. It's had this, it has had this revival in of this resuscitation and of its reputation, and and I, you know, I think it's completely deserved. Uh, you know, I think it's the best looking of all the prequels by a country mile, uh, not even close. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's probably because of you know, and I know people say this all the time, but that's probably because of how much of it was practical. Uh, you know, because it's like as innovative and groundbreaking as episode two and three were, a lot of that stuff just I don't think has aged super well. Um, whereas episode one, even though all the talk when it came out was like, oh, you know, it's these incredible, uh, you know, computer generated characters and, and landscapes and blah, 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 blah. A lot of the movie is, is still, you know, shot in camera. Um, and there's that mm-hmm. famous stat that yeah. gets shotted out all the time that it had the most miniature shots of all time and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, so it, of, the, of the prequels, it feels the most like one of the original trilogy to me. Um, yeah. Um, you know, it was shot in film, obviously, whereas episodes two and three are digital. Um, although we, you know, we probably should have talked about that in relation to episode two. I mean, say what you will about the merits mm-hmm. of the film itself, but it's an extremely influential film in terms of being the movie that sort of made everybody go, made all the, you know, exhibitors make the switch to, to digital. Um, so that's, you know, doesn't make me like the movie anymore really as a movie, but it's worth noting, you know, 
uh, again, like we, we talked about with, with episode two, a lot of the, the criticisms of Phantom Menace uh, have fallen by the wayside over the years for me. And we're kind of just left uh, appreciating the stuff in it that, that worked. Uh, you know, the pod race, as you said, the duel of the fates, those are two of the best sequences in George Lucas's entire career. Um, it yeah. is impossible as well. You know, speaking of being able to separate the Clone Wars from Revenge of the Sith, it's impossible for me to separate the pod race from the video game. Uh, which was amazing. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think Maul is was an incredibly oh. cool villain. Um, yeah. I maintain he was much cooler in the Phantom Menace than he ever has been since they brought him back. It's uh, Peter Serafinowicz uh, doing the voice. Yeah, and the fact yeah. that he that he the, the fact that he barely ever talks. I mean, the coolest yeah. thing about Maul is his look, and that's best display. That's best featured in uh, in the Phantom Menace. Uh, yeah. You know the Phantom. He, Menace- he does. He does get very chatty, Kathy, doesn't he? In the cartoons, I, I'm just not a fan of <laughs> compared that. to. I know. I know. Yeah. I know. It's been great. Like, and and uh, he's had great moments, and he's fantastic in that final arc. The, but the, but it really did take up until that final arc of the Clone Wars for me to admit. Okay, it's probably a good thing yeah. they brought they brought Darth Maul back from the dead. But yeah, yeah I've always loved him I in think the Phantom that, Menace. You know, yeah, I, I mean, those cartoons have fleshed him out and everything, but they've fundamentally changed him from what he was intended to be. Like his name is Darth Maul. He's just a weapon. He's a bludgeoning mm. weapon, mm. which Sidious is using against the Jedi. So it's, you know, it's all he was ever meant to be. Mm. And he does it really well in this film. And, and the, can you remember when the double bladed lightsaber got ignited for the first time? Lost your mind. Incredible. Especially because like when I was a kid, I was into the, you know, like the tales of the Jedi comics with XR Kun and his, his double sided yeah. lightsaber. So, yeah, I, it was it was so cool to actually see one of those on screen. You know, the Phantom Menace introduces Darth Sidious's plan. It's it's really complex. It's it's you know, there's a lot to dig into there. It's it's really fa- Sidious's plan is really fascinating, and, and Phantom Menace kind of introduces that. Uh, you know, it's a really smart um, story that unfolds over the three movies, even if maybe some of the things happening around it aren't aren't that smart. Um, you know, Liam Neeson and Ewan McGregor are both perfectly cast. You mentioned the lightsaber combat in the Duel of the Fates. Um, you know, I think this movie has some mm. of may, maybe the best lightsaber combat in in the saga. I mean, because the even in the Duel of the Fates, like they're not at the point that they would reach an Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, where it goes into mm-hmm. video game territory. Like it's it's much more choreographed than anything yeah. we saw in the original trilogy, but it still feels more or less of a piece with what we saw there, it's like, okay, well I could believe that 30 years ago, this is how they did it. Yeah. I remember when we, when we talked to um, Benton Jew, mm-hmm. uh, who storyboarded a lot of that fight and uh, you know, him talk, talking about his obvious, uh, you know, martial arts influences and mm-hmm. especially from Hong Kong cinema, etc. So yeah, it's uh, that's a good episode, by the way, if you haven't listened to that one, go back and check it out. But yeah, fascinating stuff. Um, as far as I'm concerned, like people who have a problem with episode one, tend to have one of three problems. One, the title, Phantom Menace. Two, Jar Jar Binks. Three, Anakin Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, watching it back, like all those things are just, they're fine. They're fine. Mm. They're all right. They're not, you know, I remember when that Phantom edit was going around, um, basically all it did was cut out most of Jar Jar's scenes and minimize Anakin a bit, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and that's clearly what people had a problem with. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, even changed the title technically. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, 
so yeah, like if if you have a problem with this film, it's probably one of those three things that's needling you somehow, and you just need to let that go. It's fine. Like the Phantom Menace is a is a Buck Rogers pulpy Saturday morning serial title, and that's what Star Wars is all about. So live with it. Um, that's what all the Naboo designs kind of reference. Mm. You know, it's all it's all good. Um, and and yeah, you know, Jar Jar's he's he's great. Like I've reassessed that performance completely in in the wake of Ahmed Best's revelations about what it did to him. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it didn't get the recognition it deserved for being so groundbreaking, both in terms of, you know, technological expertise and, and, and melding the performer with, uh, with the CGI and with Jake Lloyd and with Jake Lloyd, you know, he's a child actor. Give mm. him a break. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, look, I'm I'm still I'm never going to be a Jar Jar fan. I mean, that's you know, uh, Ahmed Best seems like a cool guy. I, I'm never really going to. It's just I, I I don't I just don't really get into that sort of humor. Uh, it's fine. It doesn't ruin the movie for me or anything or anything like that. Uh, I'll tell you what though, I haven't watched it with my kid yet, but mm. fart jokes, nailing it. That's that's exactly that's all he laughs at now. Yeah, and and see, I, and that's probably you know, and if you were five when you saw the Phantom Menace, like I get it, like I get like that, yeah. it, you know, that wouldn't have bothered you the same way. Like I think I was twelve, and yeah, even then I remember just like hating the you know the fart joke and stuff like that. But whatever, mm. like it's, I I still really enjoyed the movie overall the first the first few times. I saw yeah, it. Um, I mean Jake Lloyd. I think he's fine. I don't have a huge problem with Jake Lloyd in this movie. Is it the finest performance ever given by a child actor? You know, no. Like he's not. He's not given Tatum O'Neill a run for her money. Is yeah. it perfectly? He's, he's not Sindel Tawani in Battle for Endor. <laughs> exactly. Is it? You know, it, people talk about like, oh, you know, he. It's so weird to see Darth Vader as like this sort of goofy little kid. It's like, yeah, that's the point. Like that's he was this innocent little kid, you know, he, he, and, and, and he was, he got, he gets corrupted over the course of the three movies. I, I, I don't have a problem with that so much. Um, Even Hitler was a goofy little kid. You know? <laughs> exactly. If you could go back in time and kill, you know, Anakin Skywalker as a baby, would you, you know, probably, I don't know. <laughs> you, you wouldn't have to, you just tell him to stay with his mom. Yeah. <laughs> stay with yeah. his mom. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Exactly. What? Are, oh, the, the the title never really. I, I don't know. I, actually, I do remember the, thinking the title was bad when it was first announced. Yeah, but it was so long ago now, and I'm just so used to hearing it that when you pointed that out, I was like, "Oh yeah, people don't like." There were people. Who, yeah, like, I'd forgotten that that was the thing people didn't like about the movie because it makes so much sense in the context of the trilogy as well, in terms yeah. of like Sidious is into menace. It, it was the first thing people hated about that movie because it was the first thing people knew about mm. that movie, mm. you know? And instantly, it's the, the first thing you knew about it was the title is The Phantom Menace and people immediately dunked on it because of that. Mm. It was a time to be alive. <laughs> I mean, and how great, uh, you know, are the designs in that movie? Like you mentioned that, you know, it's, it's, it's really pushing like the Buck Rogers connections and... Uh, mm. It is sort of saying, you know, well, if Star Wars was like the 70s, then we're going back, you know, we're going back like yeah. 30 years or so to, to for uh, The Phantom Menace and we are in full, you know, Buck Rogers, Flash Gordon, you know, 
shiny, new, futuristic, uh, innocent, naive kind of territory. Um, you know, so, some of the designs in The Phantom Menace are some of my favourite designs in, in all of Star Wars or in all of movies. Uh, I mean, I love the Naboo Starfighter. I love Padme's ship. I love all the, you know, yeah. so, a, a lot of the pod race designs. Um, you know, it's a movie you could just sit and look at even if you don't really vibe with the story um, and, yeah. and, and appreciate it on that level. And it's got that classic Star Wars intercutting between various parts of the battle. Mm. At the end, you know, the battle in the sky, the battle on the ground, the lightsaber duel, mm-hmm. you know, it just keeps that intensity up at, mm. at 11 for the last probably half hour mm. or more, 40 minutes probably. And it's great. And, and you know, that the, the only lull you get in that really is the sequence with the energy doors where Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon get separated and Maul gets separated and, mm-hmm. you know, they just... Yeah, um, and, and at the same time, every, you know, everything's going wrong in space. Everything's going wrong on the ground, mm. and yeah, that, that's it's really well done, really well pieced together. I, I love the uh, the way that sort of that hangs together. That end battle sequence, it's one of the best. I mean, you know, and and we've talked about this before, but you know, the the end of Black Panther is exactly the same as the end of Phantom Menace. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, in terms of <laughs> you've got the one guy piloting the ship, doesn't really know what he's doing. You've got the ground yeah. in the in the lush green rolling hills. You've got the uh, you know you've got the guys facing off with the energy barriers between them. And anyway, but yeah, it's uh it's very familiar. Um, <laughs> it's definitely something I've, I've gotten, you know, fonder and fonder of over the, over the years. And it, it, if I had to, yeah. if I had to just throw on a prequel and watch a prequel right now, that it's the one I would, it's the one I would pick without, without question. Um, you know, so yeah, Phantom, Phantom Menace. Uh, we could yeah. probably talk about Phantom so, Menace for hours, but let's, let's, yeah. uh, let's keep it moving. So, so far we've got our prequels in the same order. Um, mm. something. So uh, what was your number three? On your list. My number three, THX 1138. Baz, why did you put THX 1138 at the bottom of your list? The simple answer is as soon as I thought about watching it again, I wanted to go to sleep. And that was just (laughs) thinking about watching it. I, I, you know, I, I watched it when I was possibly too young. Hmm. First time around, and and we've talked about this before. Like I, I think I watched two thousand and one when I was too young to appreciate what it was going for. Um, I, I, I just watched it when I was too young. Was bored out of my mind. C- couldn't sort of find a way in at all to this. Mm-hmm. You know, probably probably too young to even sort of appreciate what dystopia was. I mean, we never read nineteen eighty four in school um, English class like a lot of people do. So <laughs> you know. <laughs> we went animal farm instead. So, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of, um, yeah, it, it, it didn't, it, I didn't kind of dig what it was going for. Like, I, I remember watching something like Logan's run and thinking Logan's run was great. Mm-hmm. And essentially, you know, it's, it, it's similar in some ways. Cause it's got that, you know, person escaping from futuristic dystopia kind of vibe about it, but handled in an altogether more sort of accessible way. But I, I just find THX 1138 soporific, everything from the soundtrack to the sets to, you know, to the characters. I just find everything so dull and so soporific is the only word I can use um, that 
when I immediately thought about trying to check it out again, I just thought, nah, look, I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm doing, I haven't got that insomnia problem anymore. So I, I don't need to, <laughs> I'm sleeping all right at the minute. So yeah, I'd, you know, and I think, I, I think I don't remember it that well. And I would be maybe eager to give it a go if I had a bit more time in my hands and, mm. and sort of a bit more energy. <laughs> to try and make it through a couple of monster energy drinks or something. Um, but yeah, look, I, you know, who's got that kind of time at the minute? Um, I just, yeah, just dull. Yeah. Um, yeah. I understand its importance in, in Lucas's career. Um, but I think it's a, it's one of those examples where if you, you pad out an excellent idea for a short film, into <laughs> a longer film and it doesn't quite have everything that that's there. I this has blown me away, I got to say. I don't know, this is wild that we have been I knew this was going to be controversial. Yeah, for so long and I had no idea that you you held such strong opinions against uh against THX 1138. Um, I had no idea you hadn't seen Caravan of Courage. Exactly. Exactly. So we're still we're still finding things. <laughs> so out. We're still learning. Yeah. That's right. Uh, <laughs> this is this is to be honest. This is the end of the list. I'm sort of excited to talk about um, the yeah. you know where these are the films that like for me this is why these are the movies you know these these are why I love George Lucas. Um, for me, those first three films have so many like interesting little overlapping themes and. I think it's J.W. Rinsler who talks about how, for him, the real George Lucas trilogy is THX 1138, American Graffiti, and Star Wars. And the theme of that, you know, it's a, it's a spiritual trilogy, if not a, you know, obviously it's not, there's no connection between the plots. But, you know, the theme of that trilogy is growing up, coming of age, going out into the world. Uh and I think that's dead on. And I think that's like, that's at the core of those three movies. And it's, it's where I kind of struggle to like connect that with the prequel sometimes. I will say about THX 1138 before, before I get into the things I love about it. I hate, 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 hate with a passion that the director's cut is the only cut available to view. Um, in many ways, I think that is as egregious as what's been done with Star Wars, uh, probably even more egregious because even though the film wasn't as impactful, like it's, it's denying people the chance to see what this legendary filmmaker's first movie looked like. Um, mm. You know, it's, it's like cheating. It, it, you're going back to, you know, your first, he's gone back to his first movie and added all these CGI touches and all these, you know, landscapes and, and close-ups that he couldn't have done back then. And it's like, you know, now as you sit there and watch it and go, oh, isn't, isn't it amazing what he could do, you know, in, in the early 70s? And you go, well, no, because, you know, he, he didn't do it in, in the early 70s. Like this is and, – and, and the frustrating thing to me is that what he did do was better. You know, like if, if, you, mm. if you could just see it without those CGI additions, you know, I think you can appreciate the ingenuity of what he was able to do on a limited budget. And with, you know, with those limitations that are crucial to the, what makes art art in a lot of cases. And, and that he didn't have those when he came back to do the director's cut and he could go back in and add whatever he wanted. So anyway, mm. just saying, not a fan of that. You know, I think it's fine the director's cut exists. That's his prerogative. He can do what he wants. I, I just think there should also 
be like when you buy the director's cut, it should come with the original cut, or at least you should have the option to be able to buy the original cut somehow or watch the original cut through some legal um, manner. Uh, I think it's ridiculous that mm. you that you can't. And it like just from a you know film history perspective, it it's criminal that you that that they that they've done that. Um, this, this is this is the man who's a holiday special denier. Um, <laughs> he he he's buried his own work so deep that you know. I, I think yeah, it's that's what you can come to expect from George these days. Isn't it? So yeah, I get I get I get very worked up over that. But in terms of the film itself, it's a really interesting first feature. I think this is the closest he ever got to you know in any of his feature films at least to capturing the abstract feel of 2187, um, which was this, we've talked about on the show before, was this uh, audio-visual collage by Arthur Lipset that made George Lucas fall in love with filmmaking in the first place. Um, mm-hmm. And the way he uses that, that style here is to sort of create this totally immersive experience where you're in the future, you're in the world of, of THX. Um, there's not always necessarily anything like, you know, it's not always clear, like, where the plot's going. Um, you know, so I, I can, I, I, I grant you that. Like, it's definitely not mm. the most exciting George Lucas movie, that's for sure. Uh, but, I mean, I, I, I think the way that he, that he is able to sort of, you know, completely immerse people in, in this world is, is really interesting because it goes to probably his core strength, I think, as a filmmaker, which is, like, you know, you go back to before he got into filmmaking and he was into anthropology. And I think in those first three films, that interest in anthropo- anthropology or that, that kind of like that way of looking at the world um, is really on display in those first three movies um, with, you know, the level of world building and the way that he just kind of throws you into these worlds. It doesn't really, you know, it doesn't explain what's going on um, and just leaves you to kind of, figure it out you know it's his only real sci-fi film so star wars i don't i don't see i don't think you know i'm sure you don't either the star wars films aren't aren't sci-fi films it's you know it's space fantasy space opera etc but you know george says it's a he has this quote you know thx was a parable about the way people were living in 1970 it wasn't about the future cool you you can say that about all good sci-fi that is that's the whole point of of most sci-fi um, and, 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 you know, as a result, there's like, there's a level of like overt social commentary in this movie that Lucas would never go for again. Um, that I think is really interesting. Again, it's just for a first feature, it's so interesting how many of like the, the sort of core themes and major interests that he keeps coming back to are, are already present and like fully formed in this movie. So THX is all about a society that's cut itself off from the organic world. Um, and, and that's obviously a core theme of Star Wars, you know, man versus machine, man's relationship with machines um, and, and the, and the kind of urge to reconnect with the natural world in some way. Um, and that's, you know, at the end of this film, you know, spoiler alert, when, when THX, you know, emerges from the underground, from the, you know, from the BART system in San Francisco and, and, and comes out, <laughs> into the, you know, the, the sunlight, I mean, that's that one moment kind of encapsulates what all of George Lucas's movies are about, or at least what those, you know, what those early movies were about. You know, I love, again, you know, the little digs at, 
at bureaucracy, which is something that, you know, that's, that's a bugbear that, that Lucas would come back to, you know, target. He would come back to again and again and again over the years. And, and that's something that definitely connects this with the prequels is, you know, the idea that the bad guys or that, you know, the bad guy, the, whatever you want to call it, the empire, the, you know, the, the, the ruling society, um, gives up on chasing THX because it's getting too expensive. Um, you know, that they, they're monitoring the <laughs> yeah. cost of this operation and, and that, you know, the, the pencil pushers can't justify chasing him any further. So he gets away, um, is amazing. Um, and, and this is all stuff that it feels deeply personal. It feels deeply connected to his upbringing as, you know, the son of like a what, stationary salesman or whatever his dad was in, in Modesto who wanted to, you know, go and do something else. Um, you know, the score is great. Uh, and a very atypical score by Lalo Schifrin as well, like very far from the world of, you know, Mission Impossible and, and, and that kind of like funky, you know, Enter the Dragon, like kind of funky 70s sort of, sort of stuff. Um, very like ominous and great, builds this great sense of foreboding. It's like Blade Runner, you know, 12 years, 13 years before Blade Runner. Um, so... Yeah, I, I love this movie. It's not my favorite. I mean, obviously, I put it number three on the list, so it's not my favorite George Lucas movie. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I definitely, if you haven't watched it in a while, I I would rec- definitely recommend going back and rewatching it, especially because I feel like after some of the sort of deep dives and stuff we've done on the pod, I think there's probably parts of it that you'd like more. Um, yeah, you know, and like I fully expect that to happen. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's 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 uh, that is, and I will. I, I promise you, you've convinced me. I promise you, I will <laughs> go back and watch it. And Robert Duvall is great in it. Like the cast is great. Donald Pleasance yeah. is great. Everybody's great. Uh, yeah, it's probably you're right. I think you used the word art uh, there, and and it is probably the most artful, the most art house, the most mm. like art of George Lucas's movies. I mean, it's definitely it's the most like the challenging, if populist. That's, the least yeah, the least populist, exactly. Yeah, it's the one that feels the closest. Yeah, and 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 I think that that's. Yeah, I know, and I, that that might be what turns me off it as well. Like, yeah, don't like art. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is it is funny. Like, even though so there's so many themes that connect up, it is it is it is funny that like this is a film that was made by a guy who you know, less than a decade later would, t- would turn around and make the most populist form of entertainment of all time. It, th- that is odd. I mean, I think Walter Murch is a huge part of this movie as well. Like the, the sort of soundscapes that he creates are huge part of what immerses you in the world of THX, especially, you know, the movie as it, as it was before the director's cut and he didn't have the budget to necessarily put all of this world on screen. Um, Walter Murch did so much of that. Anyway, George always really was savvy with merch, wasn't he? Always. <laughs> yes, that's right. There's, a, there's, a, there's, there's surprisingly little THX merch, or for that matter, surprisingly little Walter Merch merch. I would yeah. absolutely buy a Walter Merch uh, action figure or, or something. But every, every time, as you said, every time you go on San Francisco's BART system, you're. You live in the THX in- dream. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Baz, what is your I th- I think I can guess where we're going from here on out, but you threw me a curveball with DHX, so <laughs> yeah. I can't say for sure. What's your number two? American graffiti. Hey. Or as they call it in America, graffiti. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and your number two? Uh, also American Graffiti. Yes, uh, I knew it. Yeah. And, and this, to me, the, the connections between this and THX... The, the the connection is the the anthropology again. It's this is mm. it's it's still this is anthropology on film. This is one of the great things about THX and American Graffiti um, is just the level of immersive detail. I just talked about the sort of soundscapes that that Walter Murch was able to create for THX, and, and you know he needed the same thing for American Graffiti. The cool thing that he did with American Graffiti, everybody kind of knows. Like this was one of the first movies to use like pop music on the soundtrack to the extent that it did. The job of music supervisor did not exist before um, American Graffiti. Or, or was it Wolfman Jack? Or Wolfman Jack, yeah. Be the first music supervisor. Yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> Walter Munch did this cool thing with this with this movie where he would play the records through speakers in the spaces that the characters in the film were going to occupy so that he could switch between, you know, playing the original records on the soundtrack and playing like his re-recorded versions of the record that sounded like what the characters were hearing in those spaces, depending on the kind of feeling that he was going for, which probably all sounds very obvious now, but when he did it then, that was really innovative. And that added to, again, you know, I've used the word a hundred times now, but it added to that feeling of immersion that George Lucas created. I think that George stated that he wanted the music to just keep going the whole time, just mm-hmm. soundtrack everything and only stop when the cars stop, you know? Yeah. And I, I think one of the reasons that people like us, I think one of the reasons that geeks latch on to Star Wars so hard is because George appreciates the value of that sort of cultural detritus, that stuff that seems meaningless, those kind of incidental images and sounds and details that seem kind of worthless in the moment. But it's it's those things that nostalgia is made of. It's those things that bring those environments and those moments to life. And American Graffiti is full of that. He's very, you know, he's, American Graffiti is such a keenly observed movie. It's a guy mm. remembering in stark detail, you know, his, his life as a teenager, as this teenage rev head in Modesto, and then putting that on screen. And, you know, I'm not necessarily, I'm not saying all the experiences were the same or the stories are the same, but the feelings were the same. And George is able to recreate those feelings so perfectly. And I think it's that same thing that he brings to Star Wars. It's that level of detail. It's that level of this all feels real. Even the tiny details, they're important. Um, and, yeah. and I think Lucas is, has a great eye for stuff like that. He does, yeah. As an anthropologist, he's turning the lens on himself here. He's studying you know, the American teenager mm-hmm. in car culture and you know, with the the musical soundtrack and you know it's everything it's it's all about how he grew up yeah and uh, and I, I saw this after star wars um obviously I, I saw star wars first and then explored this later on and uh by that point i think i'd heard well i had heard the npr radio dramas which go into more detail about luke's life on tatooine mm-hmm. and when i saw american graffiti i was like what well, this is luke's life on tatooine this is Luke and Deacon, Wendy and Biggs mm-hmm. and Fixer and Cammy all hanging out in town, you know, just doing laps of the strip and their hot rods and, mm-hmm. you know, talking about maybe, yeah, I'm going to go away to the Academy this year. And, you know, it's, it's the last night before we say goodbye. It's that's the experience that mm-hmm. we would have got had Star Wars had like an hour long 
prologue. Yeah. Yeah. A million percent. Absolutely. Was it Francis Ford Coppola said like the tragedy of George Lucas's career, or he might not have used the word tragedy, but the, the thing about George Lucas's career is that Star Wars happened and it was the biggest movie in the world. And his, his career then became Star Wars essentially. And other things on the scale of, of Star Wars, you know, you, you're Indiana Joneses, et cetera. And obviously neither of us would, you know, would trade Star Wars for anything, but it, it would have been great in a way to see what he did if Star Wars wasn't as big of a hit and, or didn't sort of take as much out of him or, or whatever led him to have that huge gap in, in directing and to see like what other worlds he could have created. Because this is like, I mean, this is a real world, sure, but he, he creates this world in such exacting detail. Um, you know, period movies that are not set that far in the past, I feel like often don't get the credit they deserve for being able to recreate mm-hmm. that period. You know, if you look at the Oscar contenders, it's so often like, wow, they, they recreated like Victorian England or whatever. And it's like, okay, but like, it's just as impressive to be able to recreate. You know, like I thought it was really cool that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood won like the Production Design Award last year, you know. Yeah. That to me is, is, is incredible. Um, and and this is, this is that same kind of thing, you know. And it's a great looking movie. A lot of that's down to Haskell Wexler, who, uh, you know, George knew from his old hot rodding days, who, who he brought on board as a sort of consultant with the cinematography. Um, and, you know, just the cars look so great, like the lights reflecting off them, like the, you know, the street lights, like it's all... Uh, yeah. Uh, it's weird that, we, you know, we, I grew up in the UK, you grew up in Australia, but mm-hmm. we, we spawned to this mm. cultural, you know, moment when it's, it's American 50s stuff. And, you know, you would have probably visited an American-style diner when you were a kid. Oh, I, I love that stuff. Did. But because you know, of this movie, yeah. most likely... It possibly, yeah, but you know, all that stuff just trickles down to the rest of Western civilization, and and you know, we like you know your Coca Cola bottles and your jukeboxes, and it's just all that stuff is as iconic to us as it would have been to Americans back then. That mm. it, it, it's just evergreen. Something about it's evergreen, but it's all the time as well. Mm. Um, and that's I I got stupidly emotional the other day watching Cars. Um, like the Pixar movie, the Pixar movie, and I guess there's a lot of the same stuff in that. It's like mm-hmm. nostalgia for uh, all the Route 66 uh, stuff. Uh, yeah, Route 66, a road culture that's dying, that's that's kind of being marginalised and pushed out by modernisation, and you know, it's the feeling that you can never go back again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's um, it's really interesting. Yeah, a hundred percent. And this is, and this is, you know, you, you touched on like those fifties diners, etc. I mean, this is one of the most influential. You know, we think of Star Wars as one of the most influential films of all time. This is just as influential on the culture. I feel like in in its own in its own way. I mean, the idea of the kind of four interlocking narratives that you know, it's not always obvious how they cross over, but they do. I mean, that wasn't really being done. You know, I'm not saying it had never been done before, but I don't think it was very common when American yeah. Graffiti came out. And, and you know, here it was appearing in what at the time was one of the highest grossing, became one of the highest grossing films of all time. Um, you know, we talked about obviously the influence of the soundtrack, the, the, the revival of that sort of late 50s, early 60s culture, which, you know, is so funny that it's, it's 11 years ago. Like for us, that's 2010. Um, I don't feel particularly nostalgic for 2010, but it's just, yeah, culture moves. It has, it moves at a different speed, I guess. Um, That's right. 
Yeah, the other thing about this that's a parallel to to Star Wars and Tatooine is that there's a there's a war in a faraway place looming over everything here, and it's kind of affecting the futures of some of these characters too. Mm. Um, so that, that's kind of an interesting observation mm. too, because you know that the, the Vietnam War is a big touchstone for George and making Star Wars, and in, in terms of the you know man versus machine or technology versus nature kind of themes that he mm-hmm. had mm-hmm. going on, yeah. And the movie's so funny too, right? Like mm, it is, yeah. Like a lot of people say, you know, well, George can't do comedy. George isn't funny. I mean, anyone who says that just needs to watch this movie. I grant you a lot of the stuff in the prequels, a lot of that comedy does not work. Uh, it's one of my main problems with those movies. Um, but this movie is hilarious. Now, a lot of that is due to, you know, the hikes who, who wrote the movie with George. But again, you know, he's the director. Like comedy can die on the vine in the hands of a director who doesn't get comedy. Uh, and, and George seemed to have like a great sort of sense of comic timing in this movie. I mean, the Terry, the, 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 the toad stuff is, I mean, that's, that's a McLovin 30 years before McLovin, the scene where, 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 where toads trying to buy, uh, alcohol, you know, it, it's hilarious. And we've all been that kid. Like it feels so dead on and so well observed again. And, you know, you talked about this, uh, the, the fact that it's this, this war is hanging over all of them, this, this kind of like at the end of an era is hanging over all of them. I mean, mm. is, you know, we know George loves like his Japanese culture. There's this Japanese saying, uh, mono no aware, which is like, it's basically, it's like the, the awareness of the impermanence of the moment when you're in the moment, this is like mono no aware, the movie, like everything mm-hmm. about this movie is like capturing that feeling of like, this is, you know, the last night of something. Um, this is all going away. The, the, the end credits song, like All Summer Long by the, by the Beach Boys, I mean, one of the all-time great needle drops in, in an end credits. I mean, it's the only one, I think it's funny, like George must have been so convinced that it was the right song for this film because it's the only one that doesn't quite fit the era. Like it's not the right, you know, the song yeah. didn't exist at the time, but it's just so perfectly captures that feeling of like impermanence of things. So, yeah, I, it's a great movie. If he hadn't directed Star Wars, you know, if this was his legacy, it's a it's a great legacy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, there's only one movie left on the list, and we've blown the reveal of our choice of number one. <laughs> I think, unless and one of us has gone, happy. unless one of yeah. us has gone truly rogue and found a, a a movie that George directed that the other didn't know about, but I, um, I didn't. Did you? No, it's uh, my number one is uh, Electric Labyrinth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my number one is yeah. Radio Land Motors. Howard <laughs> yeah. the Duck. Uh, no, it is. Uh, it has to be. Obviously, it's Star Wars, Star Wars. Episode yeah. Four. Yeah, yeah. What can you say? It's the movie that changed my life. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. Would this be no? I don't think, if I'm remembering correctly, this would not be number one on your list of favorite Star Wars films. It, it comes and goes. Mm. I think at the minute it might be okay, but um, the, the only the only ones that would occasionally rise to 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 do battle with it would be Empire Strikes Back and um, possibly Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. With, with maybe Force Awakens a slight tier below that, but it would never, I don't think it would ever step up to replace A New Hope. I don't think it would ever get above A New Hope. Yeah. But Empire and Last Jedi might. Yeah. Yeah, occasionally, depending on how I'm feeling. But I think at the moment, I'm, I'm really digging on the original. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
I'm with you. Um, Star, it's it's far and away uh, my favorite Star Wars film um, and my favorite George Lucas film. The other Star Wars films are great, obviously. Like that's you know we, we've we've talked enough about that over the years. Um, <laughs> but they are expansion packs. You know they're they're yeah. they're the DLC and and the original film is that's the explosion of creativity that made yeah. all the rest of it possible. It's the huge. You know, it's the big leap forward. Yeah. It sets the tone for everything yeah. that comes after. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it has, it's like this barnstorming spirit to Star Wars that the other Star, the, to A New Hope, that the other Star Wars movies don't have. Um, it, it feels so fresh. Um, and I mean, you know, and there's a lot of, there's probably a lot of arguments you can make that Empire is a better film on some levels, but. For me, it's it's the energy of, of Star Wars separates it from anything else. The thing about Star Wars that I love in, in relation to George's life and George's career, you know, you were just talking about American Graffiti feels like the first hour of what yeah. Star Wars would have been if we'd seen Luke on Tatooine, etc. Star Wars, much more so than any of the other Star Wars films, feels like a movie that the kids in American Graffiti would love. That, yeah. Like a movie that the kids <laughs> in American Graffiti would would go and watch. And that's something that I think kind of gets forgotten when we do these sort of deep dives into, you know, Star Wars lore and Jedi lore and Sith history and whatever. It's like that stuff's all interesting and that stuff's all all fun. But, like, ultimately this is a movie about, like, things moving fast and things getting blown up and kids dreaming of better lives. And, you know, like that's, that's Star Wars. Like that's, that's a new hope more than it is, more than it describes any of the other, any of the other movies. It doesn't get as caught up on all of those. You know, I, I remember when I was a kid, you, you, you know, you were saying before, like being able to connect with that experience of American graffiti, even though neither of us had anything close to like an American graffiti sort of upbringing. Um, I grew up in Ipswich, which is, Pretty much the Modesto of Southeast Queensland, um, in in a lot of ways, or the ta- the Tatooine, the Moss Eisley of uh, of Southeast Queensland. And I I remember. Oh, okay, well, what, what's Bull Desert then? Okay, yeah, Mo- fair call. Moss Esper. Fair call. Fair call. Uh, and I remember once when I was a kid, we we went and saw. I, I, it, I don't know. It's so funny because it's not something I would choose to do now, probably. But we went and saw like a, a we went to like a monster truck rally. And the reason we went is because, like, I insisted because they were playing Star Wars on a big, like, outdoor, you know, drive-in screen as part mm-hmm. of the Monster Truck Rally. Like, you know, so it was like you've got Star Wars on the screen, like the Death Star Trench Run with, like, monster trucks and fireworks and whatever. And it's, like, it's funny looking back at it because that's the only Star Wars movie that would work with. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's the yeah. only Star Wars movie that feels like it's a little rough and ready and, and it's a little, you know, it's not as polished as the others that came later. And it, it is more about, you know, because George, a young George directed it and it is about, you know, kinetic energy and it, it is about things going fast and blowing things up. And it's, you know, I mean, I mean that right there is the difference between Star Wars and Star Trek. You can never put Star Trek on the big screen at a monster truck rally, you know. Uh, <laughs> there are very few things you could, uh, maybe maybe Fast and Furious films or yeah, well, exactly. Loki and the Bandit. And you might say, that's a really weird metric by which to judge a movie. What is wrong with you? And I would say, yes, very good point. But what I'm saying is, it's those American graffiti kids in space 
Yeah. And it's, it's George's life uh, as a teenager, as a, you know, as a young adult transported into space and put on screen. So it's deeply personal. That's it. That's, that's who he wrote it for. He wrote, wrote it for himself and kids like him, didn't he? So, mm. Mm. yeah, he wrote it for those American graffiti kids. Yeah. And by the way, that, that monster truck rally showing Star Wars, do they do that now? Because that would be the perfect night out for me and Gully. I have no like, idea, but I'll, I'll monster so- trucks for him, Star Wars for me, <laughs> something for the dads, and yeah, I brilliant. will, I will, uh, I will endeavor to find out. Uh, can you know. can someone can some promoter just do that? That would be amazing. <laughs> um, See, I don't even know if they had the you know they probably didn't legally have the rights to be showing it, but uh, <laughs> you know, hopefully no. There was a more it was the Wild West mm. back then. Mm. <laughs> Um, quite literally, but uh, yeah, speaking of like uh, Star Wars, has so many influences that it probably has no right to work when you think about all the things that George Lucas threw at that screen, mm. you know, from samurai movies to, to westerns to um, fairy tales, princesses, cowboys, or wizards, mm. um, you know, these ultra technological bad guys. Yeah, all the all that amazing stuff. It, it probably, if it didn't have that framework of the Joseph Campbell hero's journey to it, it probably yeah, just it would fall flat. But as it is, it's 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 the most amazing space fantasy of all time. Yeah, I think it says that on one of the posters. It is <laughs> incredible. Yeah, and those influences again. I mean, you, you're you're right, and that to me that's that's also you know that's part of what separates it from from the other Star Wars movies because. Star Wars is the one that was made by the guy who was obsessed with that stuff. You know, yeah, it's the one George was the guy who was bringing, you know, that samurai influence into it and that Western influence into it. And the, the other movies are, are all great, but it, it's just impossible to imagine any of them. It's impossible to imagine anyone creating something like Star Wars without Star Wars existing. Yeah. Um, it's a, it was the perfect storm. It, if, if this, if George hadn't been inter- interested in filmmaking, anthropology, things that go fast, you know, American car culture, mm-hmm. none of this would have happened. It, it would have, you know, it, it was, it was just that he's the only person that could have made that film at that time, mm. and we're, I'm glad he did. And you know, again, you, we we talked before about you know, man versus machine, the organic, the inorganic, mm. you know, the natural, technological, etc. That's all over this movie. That's the force. That's you know, that's Luke learning to trust in the force and trust yeah. his senses and so on and so forth. And I mean, yeah, it's it 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 it's it's the statement that George was building up to his whole life until he got to Star Wars. It's you know, I know this is sort of a, a crude and basic way to put it, but it really is THX plus American Graffiti equals Star Wars. Like it's the you know the sci-fi technological elements of THX, the the personal the love of you know speed and vehicles and the mm. and and the the humor of American graffiti and and it creates uh, you know and, and and that sense in both movies of like wanting to do something more um yeah and and it all comes together in Star Wars and maybe that's why he didn't direct anything else for you know 20 years because he said everything he wanted to say in, yes. in Star Wars it's it's the perfect statement of what George Lucas was all about so that's our Lucas list. How did we do it predicting each other's? Bass, <laughs> I did so badly. Hang on, let me find my let me find my list here. 
look, to quote that to quote that meme going around Twitter at the moment, I uh, I did not understand the assignment. I um I I got a what did I get here? I got what was your what was your actual list? Can you run it down for me again? So number six, THX. Number mm-hmm. five, Attack of the Clones. Mm-hmm. Number four, Revenge of the Sith. Mm-hmm. Number three, The Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. Number two, American Graffiti. Number one, A New Hope. Okay. Number six. So this is what I guessed for you. Number six, Attack of the Clones. So that's wrong. Number five, Phantom Menace. That's wrong. Number four, Revenge of the Sith. Also wrong. Uh, number three, Graffiti. Wrong. Uh, number two, THX. Incorrect. Uh, very incorrect. Uh, and number one, Star Wars. So one out of six. Oh, hang on. No, no, no. I, four was Revenge of the Sith. You got that right too. Oh, oh, sick. Yep. So you got two. Nice. Oh, yeah. Only because I had Phantom and Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Way, but it worked out because yeah. THX. Okay, yeah, yeah. So two out of six. I'll take that. I'll take that. My list was number six, Attack of the Clones. Number five, Revenge of the Sith. Number four, The Phantom Menace. Number three, THX 1138. Number two, American Graffiti. And number one, Star Wars. I got three of yours. That's pretty good. Yeah, I got your bottom one and your top two. The nice. rest in the middle is just fiddling around. I, I put THX one lower than you had it. Mm-hmm. Um, Revenge of the Sith higher. Mm-hmm. Um, two, two higher. And then at number five, I had Phantom Menace for you. Yeah. I thought you were going to be down on Phantom Menace. So, yeah, that was... Uh, that's that's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah, there you go. Well, Baz, a happy May Fourth to to you and yours, uh, and and to everybody uh, listening to this. Go forth and enjoy uh, the Bad Batch uh, and yeah. every everything else that that the uh, the folks at Lucasfilm deign to release today. Mm, I wonder if there'll be anything, any surprises. Don't know. You I'm guys, hoping the future they'll... know by now. It's exciting. Yeah, <laughs> I'm hoping that there'll be surprises in the. Uh, some surprises in the Star Wars action figure collecting market. Could be. We shall we shall soon see. Let us know your Lucas lists at yeah. uh, hit us up on we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're at Force Material at all those places. Uh, you can also drop us a line at forcematerial at gmail dot com. And if you enjoyed this episode, uh, you can drop us a sweet five star review on your podcast platform of choice i'm ron williams i'm baz McAllister, and you've just taken your first step into a larger world <laughs>